I want to take you back to a few years ago, 1992. Think about where you were in 1992. Some of you weren't born yet, I know. But in 1992, I was applying to rabbinical school. And in my rabbinical school interview in Los Angeles, I remember that I was sitting at a large board table in a boardroom surrounded by scholars and rabbis and rabbinical students and members of the community who each in turn would ask a question of me. And towards the end, I thought I had done a very good job. And the very last question in the interview was when the dean of Hebrew Union College said to me, Sydney, just imagine you are a rabbi and a colleague of yours calls you and says, I'd like you to come and speak in my community next Shabbat. How would you decide what you were going to speak about to that congregation, to your colleague's community? And I said, well, I'd, I'd call my colleague and ask what was going on in their community. I would read the local newspapers. I would look and see what was going on in Israel. And then I would write a sermon, and I would go to the community. And, and they said, and then? And I said, and and then, and they said, and then you would, of course, base it on the Torah portion of the week, right? <laughs> I said, well, obviously, the Torah portion of the week. Did I not mention that? The most basic fact, which is that every rabbi is supposed to base the Shabbat sermon on the Torah portion of the week. I had kind of missed that part, and they still let me be a rabbi. All over the world, the Jewish calendar is based on the Torah portion of the week. And in fact, in rabbinical school, the first of our Torah or sermon I ever wrote was about this week's Torah portion, Truma, the portion which gives incredibly specific detailed instructions for building the Mishkan. What's the Mishkan? It's the tabernacle. What's a tabernacle? It's this portable tent that eventually became the temple in Jerusalem, but it was the portable tent of worship that the Israelites would build up and take down for the 40 years between Egypt and when they got to the Promised Land. It's blueprints, measurements, materials. The people of Israel are called upon to contribute 13 things, gold, silver, copper, blue, purple, and red dyed wool, flax, goat hair, animal skins, wood, olive oil, spices, gems, all of these things they were schlepping along with them, obviously, from Egypt. God says to Moses, they shall make for me a sanctuary, a mishkan, and I will dwell among them. All of these details in the entire portion, in essence, so that we could figure out a way to get God to dwell among us. The first place in the universe that God and humanity dwelled together was in the Garden of Eden. And this portion, God says, it takes a lot of work and a lot of intention to bring God into the world, and especially to bring God into our midst close to us. When I wrote my first of our Torah in 1993, it was a sermon all about truma as a way to help us bring God closer. But today, in 2020, the world is a very different place, and 27 years later, I'm a little bit of a different rabbi. The amazing thing about the Torah is that as time moves forward, the Torah has moved forward too. I've learned that the details, the rituals, the repetitions in truma are there for different reasons than just bringing God into our midst. They're there for us to stay grounded, for us to stay sane, keep faith, and stay hopeful and resilient when the entire world seems to be shifting and changing in extreme ways. And I would say from this vantage point, given the coronavirus, the elections, the market, the climate changing every day, our world can and does feel extreme and unsettling at times. Even the concept of bringing God into our midst is not an easy one to grasp. In fact, 
God is not an easy concept for many of us to grasp. Yet every time we come here, we say the Shema, the central prayer of our people, and we're emphasizing God's existence and God's oneness. Almost every blessing we say begins with Baruch Atah Adonai. We praise you, Adonai. We bless God. But we live in a world where believing in God can be very challenging because life is challenging. It doesn't make sense a lot of the time. Good things happening to bad people and bad things happening to good people, to us, to you, to me. People we love become sick or are suddenly taken away and we can't do anything about it except for mourn and grieve, remember and try to find our way back to loving and to living. Life can be disappointing and can feel like a letdown. It can be scary and it can be hard. So it makes sense that the Torah would give us a roadmap for living in a changing and morphing world. I think it's not just truma, but many things in our tradition that are there to ground us, for us to take notice, to take hold of, and to say, this makes sense. So I'm going to mention just a few. This is like preaching to the choir because you're all here on Shabbat. Shabbat is one of those things. It was created at the very beginning of creation, the seventh day, and Believe me when I tell you from experience, we really need Shabbat today. We really need 25 hours every single week where we just turn away from the chaos, turn away from the things that mildly annoy us all the way to drive us crazy and scare us. And it's a gift that we not only have an opportunity to take, but we have an obligation to take. And one of the things that I do on Shabbat, I try to do, is on Thursday night I try and make challah. I try to make challah because it's not always every Thursday night. Sometimes at one in the morning I'm making the dough, but I think about how I separate time just to do something different that makes Shabbat separate from the rest of the week. I know Thursday night is kind of a stretch, but as a rabbi it's not that easy to make challah on Friday. So I have this special recipe where you make the dough Thursday night, you put it in the refrigerator, you bake it on Friday. It's not cheating. I'll give you the recipe later. That 25 hours is something that I promise you, if I went and sat outside and talked to every single one of you, you would come up with a reason why you couldn't really do it, but you knew that you needed it. And so I'm not gonna chastise you. I'm gonna say, why don't you try to turn off your phones this Shabbat for four hours? Some point in the next 25 hours, turn off your phone and your iPad and your computer for four or five hours and see who you connect with and what it feels like and tell me when you come back next week. The next thing is a prayer that we said tonight called the Misha Beirach. The Misha Beirach that we sang, when I glanced around the congregation, there are people every single week who we know are sick, either in their body, their mind, or their soul. And so Judaism says, you don't just let it go. You actually ground yourself, you come together in community, and you say this prayer together. And you hear names of people that you don't know, but you still pray for them. And many of you know the data, the science, that says that people who know that they're being prayed for tend to get better. Doctors would say it has nothing to do with the prayers, but this idea of believing that people are there just elevates people's sense of of wellness. And so Judaism tells us that there are always going to be sick people, suffering people in our midst, but we have a prayer. We have a way of coming together and not letting those people feel like they're suffering without any support. Finally, the last one we are also going to do tonight. It's another detail, another ritual um, that I didn't do a lot when I was a kid, but then as a rabbi, every Friday night, we say the Kaddish, Friday night and Saturday morning. And... 
I'll tell you, I, I went through the Kaddish with many of you, with so many people in our congregation, and it became so important, and it was something that I said every Friday night with other people. And I saw how powerful it was for other people, and then this past April, my dad died. And it wasn't until my dad died that I started saying Kaddish for someone, for me. It's one of those times where you could be talking about something, but until you experience it, you don't know what it's like. And now when I say Kaddish this year, it always brings me back to my dad and to his memory and to his life. And so Judaism says, you don't just let those moments pass by. We're grounded in these moments of memory, of ritual, and that we come together as a community, and in a few minutes we're going to ask you to stand up and say the names of the people who you're remembering tonight, the people that you love and the people that you've lost. And so... Now, when I say Kaddish this year, it reminds me of how important I know it is to all of you if you've lost someone, but this year it really became important. And it reminds me that we are untethered if we don't have these rituals. And so although I'm preaching to the choir, I would like to remind you that it's not just the 613 mitzvot, the 613 commandments, but as liberal progressive Jews, you get to choose what it is about our tradition that grounds you because it is a scary world, it's a difficult world, but it's a beautiful world. It's a beautiful world where we get to celebrate Shabbat every single week, no matter what happens, no matter if it's bad news or good news. And so I really encourage each one of you at this time of great uncertainty, of pain, of suffering, to take our tradition seriously, to avail yourself of something that's meaningful, and to do it as a regular practice. And I promise you, it'll be a lot better. And in the great words of Ram Das, who started out Jewish, he said, be here now, stay present in the moment. And I know there's a lot of worry, a lot of frustration and anxiety, but if we could stay here, if we could sing together and be in the moment, this too shall pass. Shabbat shalom.